Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What You're Reading. Today's episode will go alongside the blog post for March 3rd. As always, in that post, I will link to all the books, the quotes, and anything else that I mention. You can find that entry on tbqsbookpalace.com. While you're at it, feel free to find me on social media as well. For Twitter, that is the underscore book underscore queen. I'm listed under the same name for my Goodreads. Instagram is Danielle underscore TBQ. And if Tumblr is your thing, you've got two options. My safe for work Tumblr is the-book-queen.tumblr.com, while my completely not safe for work, no seriously, I warned you, this is just porn here, Tumblr is tbqafterdark.tumblr.com. Pick your social media poison and come join the fun. Doing the podcast as well as just running the blog itself takes a lot of work. If you appreciate the content and you wish to see more of it, please consider donating to the blog's account, which you can find by visiting www.ko-fi.com slash DanielleTBQ. I can't believe that it's already March. Um, where the hell is 2018 going besides, you know, needing to burn in a fiery hell of fucked upness? But that's a different story. Uh, but I just, I can't believe that it's already March. I just, I just can't believe it. But anyway, speaking of fucked upness, <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, you probably already know about the dead dog comes back as a man and falls for his owner romance. Yes, you heard me correctly. I did not stutter and I am not joking. I wish I was joking. There's a book called Loyal and True, where the heroine's beloved dog dies, and then the dog talks to, like, some god or something, and he gets brought back as a human man, thus falling in love with her. I still have so many damn questions, most of them being, why the hell is this a thing? <sighs> Romance Twitter totally agreed with me on this one because the what the fuckery is so strong here and uh, nobody can get behind it. Nobody. I'm just saying this. How could you ever love a man who used to shit in your yard and lick his balls while laying on your bed? I just, how? How? This is days later after I found this, or rather, uh, Lauren found it while she was talking to me and Jen. I will leave a link to all of that below. And of course, I had to share it with the rest of Romancelandia. And uh, yeah, I still cannot get this one out of my head because that is one crazy blurb. You know what? I hope someone reads it and live tweets it, but it's not going to be me. I can promise you that. It is not going to be me. Okay, dog what the fuckery aside, let's move on to some more serious romance discussions because, oh yeah, we've got a couple of them. They're related. So, if you did not know, the Ripped Bodice put out their diversity and publishing report for the year, and it's not good. In fact, it's even worse than last year's, which was also not at all good. So, let this number here sink in, directly pulling it from their report. For every 100 books published by the leading romance publishers in 2017, only 6.2 of them were written by people of color. That is down from 7.8 in 2016. 
I will link to the full report for both 2017 and 2016 in the blog post. There's a lot of really great information in it. And if you ever doubted the whitewashing of Romance Landia, those numbers will be a rude wake-up call. Except, who am I kidding? If you ever doubted that to begin with, you're probably also not going to believe a bunch of numbers on report, right? I mean, I'm just saying. Anyway. We need to do better. Uh, at all levels. The big publishers, yes, fucking yes, they need to do better. But also the small publishers, the bloggers and the readers, and just the community as a whole, we need to do better. Listen, I'm well aware that I have a lot of room to improve, to add more authors of color to both my personal reading list and to what I read and review and promote on the blog. And, you know, all of that, I know where I need to improve. I see where I need to improve, and I'm working on it. Hell, I'll freely admit this right now, that while I did a pretty good job of reading Authors of Color in January, February was a complete bust for me, with a big fat zero for the month. And that's my fault. That's no one else's fault but my own, and I fully admit to that. I need to do better, and I will. As a community, as an industry, as a genre, we need to do better as well. It's 20-fucking-18, and we're still nowhere near where we need to be in order to make romance diverse and inclusive, and that's so damn disappointing. All I can do is try my best to push for that inclusiveness on my end to promote as many authors of color and just marginalized authors in general as I can. I'd like to encourage you all to do the same. That's the only way that we're honestly going to see actual change. We can't just sit back and expect that some unknown people high up in the publishing ladder will just magically change all of this for good one day. It doesn't work that way. It has to start from the ground up, and it has to be changed at every level. So let's do what we can to make 2018's report better. Here's my advice to you, and I'm kind of pulling from what Jen always says. Buy Read, recommend, and share the books that you want to see more of. We can do this. We just have to actually make the effort and do the work, too. So around the same time that their report came out, there was also some great discussions going on about racism in romance, especially in historical romances, such as Lisa Claypiss's newest Hello, Stranger. I'll leave links to the review, which was on Smart Bitches, which also included a great note, honestly, from Claypess stating that she was wrong, she's sorry, and she's going to have it changed in future editions of that book. I'll also link to a few threads that other authors did about it and just the topic in general because they know what the hell they're talking about and it's not my lane to try and explain to you. And again, I fully admit that I was in the wrong here. Because I saw those racist things in the book, but I didn't say anything in my own review, like on Goodreads, or even on the podcast chat that I did for the book last week. I made some notes of it in, like, my own notebook, but I didn't talk about it. And that's on me. Shame on me. I'm not going to make an excuse. I'm not. I should have said something, because that's not something that should just be left out of a review or left out of a conversation about a book. And I did it. And it wasn't intentional, but I did it. And I'm still at fault for that. Because, again, I need to do better. 
You know, I'm not afraid to call shit out, especially here on this podcast, but even so, I'm not perfect and there's always room for me to improve and to learn and to grow. And that's what I try to do. So that's my plan going forward as well. As to my reading week, I managed to finish three books. No rants today, uh, as they were all pretty good for the most part, with the exception of one that was just disappointing, to be honest. Be warned, I'm back to reading quotes and sex scenes again. Sorry, not sorry at all. And a quick note, when I'm talking about one book being in limited third POV, and I say that I I've never really came across that before in a romance, is that a thing? I realized after I recorded that part when I was listening to some other discussions going on, including actually a conversation between Elizabeth Lane and um, Sarah from Smart Bitches. I will leave a link to that podcast. But they were mentioning how a lot of the older books were almost always just kind of from more of the heroine's perspective rather than the hero, and that was in third POV back then. So I'm probably wrong then by saying that this is, is this a thing in Romance Landy? I've never came across it. I probably did, but it sounds like this was a lot of the old school romances, which I didn't read a whole lot of them. I mean, I've been reading romance for years and years, and I certainly read some of the, I don't know, 80s and 90s releases, but that was also many years ago when I read those. My point is, I say that I don't know of any others out there, like it's a new thing with this book, and I realize it's not. It's just that it's something that I was not very familiar with. So, just putting that out there. Without further ado, let's get into the book discussions. So first up, I finished Virgin Territory by Leah Riley, which comes out on Tuesday, March 6th. This one gets four stars from me. So Margot is a yoga instructor who wants to open up her own business that would kind of combine yoga and meditation and like mindfulness, kind of like the body and mind uh, workout all in one place, one gym, if you would. That's kind of her plan for her future. Patch, aka Patrick, is a hockey player. He's a goalie, by the way. And he is a ginger and he has a beard. He's also, if you can't tell by the title, a virgin. I mean, that is somebody's catnip out there because I know that is my catnip. Ginger-haired, bearded, and a virgin. I die. I die. So, if you are wondering what he looks like, let me give you this quote from the book. Patch was a freakishly delicious genetic merging of Chris Hemsworth, Channing Tatum, and Tom Hardy. I don't hear anyone complaining about that combo. I'm sure not. So their meet cute is he's got a bit of an anger management issue at times. And after the last bout, which personally, I think it was kind of uh, deserved for him to beat the shit out of this guy in the bar. But, you know, you'll have to wait until you get to the explanation of why he reacted that way. Anyway, after that, uh, now he's being sued by said asshole, who is a ambulance chaser type lawyer himself so of course this is not going to go away that easily and it's kind of dragging his reputation down so the team wants him to get that reputation back up and to also get a handle on his you know mood swings his anger so they set him up with taking some one-on-one -on -one lessons with Margot. now the reason they go for Margot is because a couple of her friends are the like girlfriends of some of his teammates, so that's kind of where the connection for the series goes. 
Of course, their one-on-one -on -one sessions eventually turn into something a little bit more hot and heavy and friendly and not so much cool and casual and professional. So here's what I liked about this book. It was just a fun story, a fun read. There were some really fun lines that made me smile throughout the book. For example, Babe, he groaned as she slid to her knees, I'm going to be late. Hang on, your cock is trying to tell me something. What's that, boy? She tilted her head, pretending to listen intently. You want to slide down my throat? Have me do that thing with my tongue? Shit, that tongue thing? Fine, I'll pencil you in. Oh, don't worry. I have it on good authority that I can work fast. Or even this one. See this grin? He said, glancing over. I can't kick it. Because as good as it was to fuck you, this is even better. Me, you, just hanging out, demolishing a dozen donuts in bed. I'd offer to let you eat a donut while riding you, she joked, but on second thought, that might be a fetish that's too weird even for me. I won't tell if you don't. He took his time licking the frosting off her fingers, and it didn't take long until he was licking her other places. Everywhere. Okay, hold up. First off, um, no kink shaming, okay? And honestly, eating a donut while riding a guy is a very tame fetish at that, but you know, let's not fetish shame just overall. Even if it's not your thing, it might be someone's thing. But, you know, getting past that little bit of uh, seriousness there. Listen, I said this on Twitter recently in response to a quote from a completely different book that Jennifer R.N.N. was reading. I will link to that if I can find it again. I'm not saying that that's a relationship goal for me to eat a donut while writing a guy. But it kind of is now. Because donuts and sex... Just make sure that the food does not go near the vagina or the ass. No food products near either areas of those body. Okay? Okay. As long as we get that out of the way. Speaking of sex, even without the donuts involved, this book was just really sex positive and the heroine was very sex positive and I am always here for that. That is like my number one thing in a romance novel. So here's an example. This is when she is um, sitting next to a couple teenage girls in like a cafe or something, and she's overhearing what they're talking about. Now, this is not what she says out loud. This is going on in her internal monologue first. But at the end of the day, all women needed the ability to give themselves toe-curling, stutter-inducing, off-the-scale orgasmic ecstasy. Um, hell fucking yes. And this, which is when she's actually talking out loud to these two girls who were kind of trying to slut shame one another and other women, this is her response to them. So, I've got a question. Did you know the correct term for a woman who slept with six guys? Or what the hell, let's round it up and make it 60 guys. The correct word is woman. Not a slut, not a hooker, not a skank, not a whore. Woman. Say it with me now. And this one, this one especially here. All I'm saying is that if you have to slut shame to make yourself feel better, then you're doing life wrong. I mean, you guys, I need that just like tattooed over my fucking forehead. I need it on a t-shirt. I need it on tote bags. I need it like uh, written across the sky for everyone. I need everyone to learn that, okay? If you're thinking that slut shaming is what you have to do in life, you're doing it wrong. And uh, women need to know how to give themselves orgasms. And, you know, the fact that doesn't matter how many people you've slept with, doesn't matter your gender either, you're not a slut or a whore for it. And you are 
worthy no matter how many people you have or have not slept with. Okay? Okay. I mean, can you tell why I love this book just for that alone? Like, even if everything else was crap, I would be still be in love with this book because of those lines alone. And the sex positivity comes up throughout the rest of the book. Honestly, I'm just pulling a couple of quotes real quick. I shared a whole bunch of others, including some that show the sex positivity again. I will, of course, have a link to my Twitter uh, hashtag where I shared all of the quotes while I was reading this book so that you can go and peruse them at your will. So this book was just, it was quick. It's a quick read. It's not very long, but it grabbed me from start to finish. Considering kind of my uneven reading mood lately, I mean, that alone says a lot. If it can grab me and just keep me entertained, it gets my stamp of approval. And sometimes that's really all it takes, okay? Sometimes it's not about, like, who can write something the best or who has the sexiest scenes or whatever. Like, sometimes it's just, did it entertain me? Yes. Okay. That's all I needed. And I certainly got that here. I mean, I got other stuff out of it, which we'll talk about, but I was here just for the fact that it was sex positive and I was entertained from beginning to end. That's it. I'm sold. I'm sold on the book. So this one was sexy, mostly. Uh, we'll get into that more in just a minute, but it does have a fairly good heat level. And again, I wasn't exactly, you know, disappointed by that. I loved that Margot was super confident and comfortable in her sexuality. For example, How do you want it? he asked gravely. She made a soft, small sound, almost a purr. Think of licking an ice cream cone. Her laugh was more a hitched gasp than anything. Go slower than you might think, and don't be afraid to use your tongue. After a while, go for the clit, but no flicking. Move with intention and add fingers. I like two or three. Listen, I will never not cheer for women taking their sexual agency by the fucking throat. I'm here for it. I am so here for it. And it didn't even matter the fact that, you know, he was a virgin and she was not. I don't care whether or not he was a virgin. I was just fucking pleased that this is how she embraces her sexuality. And she's just like, here, let me tell you how to do it, how it works best for me. Like, she would have told him this even if he'd been a playboy that knew how to do everything, you know, quote unquote. I'm sure she's sort of been like, listen, you've got your moves, but let me tell you how it works on me. And I am here for that. I'm always here for that. I loved that Patch was very much self-aware and oh, just here, here's the quote. It'll say everything that I can't put into words, okay? I want to hurt him. That's your ex. I want to hurt him for making you feel that way. He sounded pissed. Hulk smashed pissed. Her heart sank. That's what I was afraid of. I didn't say I was going to, just that I want to. He raked a hand through his hair and began to pace around the room. What are you doing? Breathing, he said before dropping to his knees in front of her. I am calming myself down the way you taught me, because this isn't about me and my reaction. It's about you and what you need right now. Well, there goes my fucking heart. Thanks, Patch. You just stole it. In case you need a few more reasons to fall for him, here you go. It's needy to want reassurance of affection. It is if you've got to ask for it. I disagree. I've been thinking today that if I want something, I need to feel like I deserve it. Sounds like we're in a similar, similar boat. I don't know if I deserve you, Margot. He made a small noise when he realized he'd spoken her name, a short laugh. But I want to try. Oh, my heart. Okay, and also... 
I fucking love fucking you, but I'm also falling in love with you. They're two separate things, but better when they're together. Um, yes. Yes, please. And this last line hit me hard because, fuck, I can so relate, Patch. I can relate. He'd never gotten a chance to be a kid, and he knew on some psychobabble level that he self-sabotaged relationships, that he pushed everyone away who ever tried to get close to him. Um, yeah, that hit me right in the heart because it me. I love when romance novels can do that, you guys. I can highlight quotes that go from funny to sexy to sweet to, you know, gospel truth that everyone needs to understand to, oh my god, that hits home to me. Like, when I share quotes on any book that I'm reading, they're all over the place for all of those reasons, and I love romance novels for that. Okay, I'm getting off topic of this book, but I just had to put that out there. So I'm definitely curious about the rest of this series. I think this is book three or four in the series. I can't recall. Um, and just more from Riley in general. This is my first time with her, so obviously I didn't read the previous books in the series either. Um, I was okay with that. Like, most contemporaries, you're fine to jump around like that, right? And you would totally be fine to jump in here as well. Now, as much as I did love this book... I'm not under any delusions that it was, like, the perfect book ever. I do have a couple of little gripes to talk about, so let's get into the imperfections, if you will. So his reason for remaining a virgin all these years was fine. That's his business. That is anyone's business, whether they are a virgin or not, whether they sleep around or whatever. You know, that is everyone's personal business. I am never going to judge anyone for that. Never. He had shit that went down in his childhood and stuff, and I get it. I totally get it. It made sense for him to have this reaction. But here's where I didn't understand the reaction. Or I should say I didn't understand the process. Um, because I did feel like his sudden jump from no sex ever to, hey, I just saw this woman, but I want to jump her, let's do this, was more than a bit baffling. Because I would have liked to have seen him process and move from point A to point B there. Because that's such a big part of his character, right? It was a reason why, and I'm trying not to spoil it, there's a reason why he wanted to, you know, not have sex with just random people. It was because of stuff that happened in his childhood. And no, it's not sexual assault or rape to him. Just throwing that out there. That is not the reason for his virginity. But there was a reason why he was staying away from sex. And that influenced his character. I mean, it would have to with something like that. So for him to then jump literally the minute he sees her into, I want to have sex with her, and I suddenly don't have any hang-ups about why I've been a virgin all these years. Do you get what I'm saying? I didn't get that reasoning for him going from point A to point B. And while I loved that he went to point B because, you know, they got it on, I needed to understand what made him switch other than apparently it was just she came along and she had a magical pussy. Like, that's kind of how it read because there was no explanation otherwise. Now, when they finally do have full-on intercourse, which was quite late in the book, I want to say that was about 70% or so in. They kind of fooled around for a little bit before then. But that first full scene was very quick because, hello, virgin hero. But at the same time, he's a natural and he makes up for it right after. And... <sighs> I admit I kind of wanted more of the doesn't know what he's doing virgin hero before we get the super sex god almighty hero. 
and we just didn't quite get that. Like, I am always here for awkward sex or, um, you know, a teaching moment of sex or just finding your groove as a new couple, right? It doesn't even matter if someone's a virgin or not. When it's your first time as a couple, like, you have to find your groove there. I'm sorry, but it's not always this picture-perfect thing from the get-go because it doesn't matter if you slept with 30 other women, dude. This woman is going to react differently. And I don't mean like she's not like other women. No, but every body is literally different and they, you know, takes different things to get them going. Anyway, again, I'm kind of getting off topic. My point is I just would have liked to see maybe more of the awkward virgin hero and not just like, you know, two thrust and he was done. Awkward virgin hero. I mean, just like, oh, hey, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing here. Why don't you show me? And instead we kind of went from him thrusting it in, he comes very quickly, she doesn't come at that point, and then he, like, you know, starts up again later in the night, and suddenly he's, like, a natural at it, and I just, like, really, though? Really? I wanted, I wanted some more of that awkward learning period first. Then you can be that natural fuck her perfectly, dude. Also, speaking of the sex, which, um, is, like, the entire point of this podcast, all podcasts that I do, right? Right. Um, but speaking of the sex in this book, well, I loved that we got a mutual masturbation scene in the form of a phone sex, or rather FaceTime phone sex scene. I actually wasn't really feeling that scene as far as like, you know, actually connecting to the sexiness going on there. Now, part of this is that I feel like phone sex and sexting scenes can be a bit awkward to pull off because the lines often seem more put on than what you would actually say during sex like what that couple would actually say or whatever. Plus there's the fact that, you know, some authors do it in like past and some do it in like present tense. And I'm not quite sure. I don't really know that either option works for me. I mean, I guess it really depends on the author. Um, all I know is that just across the board, it kind of depends on the author whether or not they can pull off a phone sex scene that I find really hot. This one, it's not that it wasn't hot. It was just kind of like good and warm, but my problem was that I felt like I was disconnected from it because it just didn't quite flow, and there was just a couple things within it that he was saying, or even that she was saying, that just, they just didn't flow, right? It kind of brought it to a halt. Like, I didn't highlight it because it really wasn't that big of a deal, but at one point during their jerk-off, you know, scene there, he says, he's talking about his fingers being inside her or something. And he's like, they are inside you now. And I was like, who the fuck says they are inside you now? Like you would say they're inside you or my fingers. Like it just seems so weird. It seemed like he was like a proper British dude talking or something like they are inside. I can't even do a British accent. Fuck that. But it just sounded so stuffy. They are inside you now. And I was like, well, that's going to bring a crashing break sound to my impending orgasm if a dude said that in my ear on the phone. You know what I mean? It was just kind of, it was just a little bit off. And it wasn't like he was a virgin and so that's why I was off. It was just kind of like the writing of this scene itself was just kind of off. The sex across the board, though, in this book, none of it was horrible. Like, it wasn't necessarily the hottest thing that I have read, but none of it was horrible. It's just that I did want a bit more from the sex in this book, and, you know, that sometimes that happens, where I just wanted it to be, you know, I don't know, just, I just wanted more from it. We'll leave it at that. I just want a little bit more from the sex. So, one last thing of note, you have to keep in mind with this book that it takes place over the course of just a few weeks, I believe, maybe 
I don't know, three or four weeks max. I, I, I know it's not very long. I really don't even think it's a month. But um, it's also the fact that this is a short book. I want to say it was like 170, 180 pages at, at the most, according to Kindle. So yeah, things are a bit rushed, and there are definitely some underdevelopment going on and all of that. Ask me if I care, though. I don't. I don't. Was this book technically perfect? No. Did I care one bit? No. It's just that simple. I had a great time reading Virgin Territory by Leah Riley, and you know what? That is the most important thing when reading. Having fun, finding it pleasurable, enjoying yourself. I don't always mean that as a uh, dirty innuendo, but I mean, if the shoe fits or the vibrator fits. Yeah, I just went there. Sorry, not sorry. Anyway, having a good time while reading, having a you know fun experience while you're reading a book, finding it entertaining, that's sometimes the most important thing beyond whether or not something was technically written flawlessly or whether or not there was flaws going on to ruin this or that, right? Like, I just care if I had a good time, and I had a fucking great time reading this book. It was like the best reading time that I've had in a long, long while, and it only took me like a day to read this because it was so short, yes, but also because... I didn't want to stop reading it. I wanted to get to the end. I just wanted to keep flipping the pages. And that alone says a lot. I don't even care about some of the little imperfections and the flaws and whatever. I'm just like, I had a fucking great time. End of story. So yeah, in short, I would recommend this. Next up, I finished Heat Wave by Elise Springer, which was that contemporary FF romance that I mentioned at the end of the podcast last week. Um, this one came out last year. Yes, I am just now getting to my arc for it. Don't judge me. We had this conversation, right? Um, I am horribly behind. And yeah, story of my life. Anyway, this was my first time reading this author. I do have two other books, I believe, from her, also old arcs, uh, again, don't judge me, on my Kindle. I'm just going to say I'm not in any hurry to read them. This one here was a disappointment for me, so it's only getting two stars, max. Sarah is currently a manager at a diner. Laura is a makeup artist. The two of them are both bi. Now, Laura is already comfortable with her bisexuality. She's been out for a while or whatever, while Sarah, during the course of this book, is just now working through her identity and coming to terms with the fact that, you know what, she is bi, or at the very least, she's not completely straight, right? Whatever label she ends up coming up with in the end, um, she's not completely straight like she's told herself all these years. Do you want to know how they meet, though? It's kind of it's kind of different. It's kind of interesting. So Sarah's ex-boyfriend left her for Laura, and shortly after that, Laura caught the guy cheating on her, and randomly she decides to call up Sarah to go out and drink with her after the breakup. Uh, yeah, I didn't quite understand that either. Like, they were never friends. They hadn't talked. I mean, all they knew is that that was the ex of the guy that she just started dating. So I didn't quite understand why she would suddenly decide to call up the ex of her ex. It just, okay, but, you know, we gotta, we gotta get the two of them together, right? So, okay, I'll buy it. She called her up out of the blue. 
So it starts out for these two as just drinks and dancing on the weekend, but then they fall into bed and it's a weekend friends with benefits deal going on before it eventually starts to turn into something more. You know the drill there. But here's where things disappointed me. I never felt the connection or romance between these two. Partly, I think, because this entire book is told in third point of view, but it's limited third point of view from Sarah only. I never got a feel for Laura's character, obviously, and honestly, I didn't get a very deep enough feel for Sarah's character either, even though she's the one that we're viewing this entire story through. I thought that was also kind of weird. I'm trying to think if I've read any other romances. I mean, you know, Harry Potter is limited third person, which is a totally different thing from talking about this book. Um, but I'm trying to think if I've ever read any other romances that are limited third POV. Like, usually it's just third POV period, or, you know, it's first POV, and maybe it's only one character first POV, or it's dual first POV, but I don't know that I can think of any other limited third POV books out there. Can you? I mean, that it's not really a big deal. I'm just, I'm just curious if this is a thing that's more common in the genre and I just have been avoiding it because honestly I'd like to keep avoiding it because I don't think that it helps the story any to limit yourself like that. Just me. I, I kind of feel that way anymore with first point of view that is only from one character and we don't get the other one. Like I used to like that and now I'm just like no I need both sides. I really need both sides. Anyway so I never did connect to Laura, I didn't really connect to Sarah's character either, and I never felt the connection between the two. Just did not get it at all. I was also a bit tired of the constant, oh, you're not bi, you're really just straight and acting it, and oh, you're going to cheat on me with every guy you see, which is fucked up in any book, period. Don't do this. And it's fucked up in real life. Don't do this. But this is a story that's about two bi women. And yet Laura was always getting jealous if Sarah so much as looked at a man while they were out, let alone spent time with one. Even if it was a gay friend that she was spending time with, Laura would become jealous because she believed Sarah was going to cheat on her and go back to the men because she must be obviously straight after all and not bi. And it was just so frustrating. I could have understood, I guess, if this happened, you know, briefly once or twice while Sarah is starting to come to terms with her bisexuality, but this is kind of what's going on like up until, I don't know, almost the very end chapter of the book. And it was just so fucking annoying. So annoying. There were a few other things that bothered me about this book. The way that a trans character's coming out was treated. The couple's first hookup being a drunk one that Sarah doesn't remember at all, which really rubbed me the wrong way uh, since this was, especially since this was before she ever came to terms with, hey, I'm not straight. I mean, honestly, I have an issue sometimes with you know, characters hooking up while they're drunk that, that far drunk. Like, we're not talking like, oh, we had a beer. Like, if you're so drunk you don't remember the sex, then you were too drunk to have been having sex. And that's true across the board. I don't care if it's a straight couple, gay couple, whatever. I don't give a fuck. But when it's something like this where she thinks she's honestly straight and then she had a drunken hookup with a woman and now has to come to terms with maybe I'm not straight after all, like, that just rubs me the wrong way. 
their entire drunken hookup bothered me. And actually, this was a conversation going on on Twitter later. Not about this book, but just it was brought up. So if I can find that, I will link to it because other people had a lot of great things to say about it as well. And I'm glad it's not just me that had this issue in Romance Landia. But both of those issues, the outing of the trans man and the drunken hookup thing, that is covered very well in a review from Corey Alexander. That is uh, their Twitter handle, at least. I think their Goodreads handle is a different thing. But anyway, I will link to the Goodreads review I'm talking about so you don't have to look for it. Because Corey breaks it down much better than I ever could about why that was so wrong. So was there anything I loved about this book? Honestly, no, not loved. But I do admit the sex was kind of hot. Although, again, I didn't feel the connection to the characters or them as a couple. So that means I was kind of disconnected from the sex a little bit. But I can still admit that the sex was pretty damn hot. There's use of toys and strap-ons and a little bit of kink thrown in as well. Some light bondage, a bit of spanking, if I recall correctly. And shit. What is the term? What do you call it when your partner keeps you from orgasming until they say you can? Like, okay, my mind just went blank. But when they're withholding orgasms, basically, that's not the correct term for it. Anyway, you probably know what I'm talking about and you're yelling at me right now. I'm sorry. Let me know and I will, you know, remember it next time. Um, anyway, the kink is not hardcore in this book, but it's definitely in the book. I thought it was handled pretty well. I mean, you could talk about how she only learns about this kink from Laura and not from anyone else, which we've had this conversation in Romance Landy before, especially after Fifty Shades of Grey hit it big, that um, your characters really shouldn't be learning about kink solely from their partner, from their, you know, usually from their dominant, right? Um, that's not that's not safe and that's really not how it should go. So, I mean, there's that that's going against it. The fact that even though this was not hardcore kink, what they did was still only what she learned from Laura and nobody else, no other support system, no other information, whatever. But all of that aside, I still felt like the kink was handled pretty well. I mean, it wasn't like some BDSM books that I've read where I'm like, oh, fuck no, you have no damn clue how this works, do you? Because that is not BDSM, that is abuse. Like, that's not the case here. So that's that's what I mean by saying I thought it was handled pretty well here. So I didn't hate Heatwave. I just wasn't a big fan of it. I didn't really feel connected to it. I was kind of bored by it. It didn't take me long to read. It's not a very... I mean, it's a longer book than Virgin Territory. I'd say maybe this one was like 200 some odd pages. Maybe it was more. It it didn't feel like it was terribly long, but at the same time, I didn't zoom through it like I did Virgin Territory. So I was a little bit more bored by this one, and I just wasn't feeling the connection at all. I just, I just didn't love it. I just did not love it. That's my final word, I guess. Overall, I was just disappointed by Heatwave by Elise Springer. This was my first time with her, like I said. I Since I have those other two arcs, including one of them is the next book in this series, and it's an MM. The other one is a different series or a standalone. I think it's also an MM. Anyway, I might give her another chance at some point, but for me, this one was just a half-hearted okay, I guess. And even that's kind of pushing it. I'd say it's it's a step below okay, I guess. 
The thing is, I looked at a couple reviews for some of her other books, like the other ones that I have on my Kindle. I was looking through some of the other reviews for it, and I'm not alone. There was a few others that kind of had the same feeling about her, I guess it's her writing style, because this was about a different book from Heatwave, right? So it must be a thing that she does in her writing style overall, where you just you feel like a lot's being skipped over and you don't ever get a deep connection to the story or the characters or, or you know, anything like that. So it sounds like maybe this is just the way her writing style is. And if that's the case, then you know what? Maybe her writing style is just not for me. And that's okay. It happens. That's okay. And I'm sure there are many others out there who absolutely adore her books and I'm happy for them. There's nothing wrong with us liking or disliking different authors. It's okay. And it's not that I, I should rephrase that. It's not disliking the author, but, you know, their, their writing, right? Their, their writing style. Next up, I finished another audiobook, A Duke to Remember by Kelly Bowen, narrated by Ashford McNabb. This one gets three and a half stars from me. Elise is an actress by night, but by day she works as... I don't know, like a spy slash private investigator type of person for the Tawn. Uh, her boss, by the way, was the heroine from book one, in case you are curious. And book one was also a good read, so if you want to start there and read in order, you totally can. Basically what they do is take care of whatever London's aristocrats need to have taken care of. You know, a scandal gotten rid of or avoided or finding a missing person or helping to solve some minor crime or another that they can't get the police involved with, that sort of thing. So Elise is hired to look for the missing Duke of Ashland and is lucky enough to find him fairly quickly though getting him to actually come back to society isn't quite as easy as that. Noah has been hiding out in the English countryside for, I don't know, quite a few years now, but originally he was sent away by his father, who... Say hello to my dogs. It's been a while. Just when I think he's done. Nope, he's still going. But originally, he was sent away by his father, who was disgusted to have such a broken child as his heir. See, Noah has some form of a, I don't know, is it a learning disorder or a speech impediment or both? I'm not sure. And of course, this is, uh, <laughs> I was about to say England times, because I've clearly been listening to too much of the heaving bosom podcast which is awesome you should listen to it then you'll get the joke um but since this is historical times of course they're not going to have stuff like this diagnosed or really understood so forgive me if i'm also misdiagnosing him but what it is is he has a hard time keeping his words straight when he's talking i don't recall him mentioning it one way or another when he's like reading or writing but when he's talking uh he would mix up the order of his words like of a sentence or whatever, or he'd forget them entirely, which all of that would, of course, embarrass him and frustrate him and make him more anxious, which would then lead to him messing up even more, and then the cycle would go on. I mean, you get it, right? So because of that, his father sent him off to Bedlam as a boy and let them do anything and everything to him in hopes of 
curing him, which, fuck that. He tells about what happened in there, and to some extent. I mean, he doesn't go into great details of it all, but I mean, he does tell you how he was, you know, tortured. That's what it was, tortured in there as a child. And it didn't cure him, obviously, but it did break him in many ways. And after Bedlam, he just disappeared entirely. And now Elise is trying to pull him back to London to help his sister get their mother out of Bedlam and get rid of the horrible distant relative who is now the heir to the neglected dukedom. That's also the guy who put the mother in Bedlam simply because the mother was saying, no, my son is not dead. I know he's not dead. He's out there. Well, of course, this distant relative, a cousin or second cousin, whatever, he doesn't want her to be saying that the son is not dead because then he can't inherit if they're saying that the Duke is actually out there somewhere, right? So he thinks she's crazy. He tells everyone she's crazy for believing her son is alive, throws her in bedlam. That's, that's why Elise has to go after and find Noah and bring him back. So I liked this one. I, I truly did. I have nothing to complain about, which is great. But I also have not a whole lot to talk about it either, which is why I'm only giving it three and a half stars, which, to be honest, is still a solid rating. There's nothing wrong with that. But as much as I enjoyed the story and had a good time even with the narrator here, I feel like this is going to be one of those books that doesn't really stick out in my mind for very long. You know, it doesn't stick with me. And I've had to kind of reevaluate my grading scale, my rating scale, I should say, over the years to say, you know what, even if it was a good book, am I going to remember it? Because that might affect whether it's, you know, only a three star or a four star or whatever. So it's not that there was anything wrong with this book. I'm just not sure that if you asked me about it in a couple months, if I'd be able to tell you a whole lot of anything that went on. Plus, I just don't have a whole lot of anything to say about it right now. So... I won't even, you know, bother trying to talk about the book at length here. I will hit on a few scenes that made me an extremely happy reader, though, because you know me and my love of quotes. Now, it was a little bit harder to do because this was an audiobook, but I managed to stop and pause and kind of jot down the scenes that I'm talking about so I could repeat them back to you. You're welcome. Elisa's pretty badass, which I already knew up until this point in the book, but when she decides to compete against a, another young woman in like a makeshift shooting competition, and they all think that she missed the target, Elise instead tells Noah that she didn't miss at all. She simply didn't hit the target cutout they had because she was instead aiming for a rat that was walking along a fence some distance behind the target. I don't remember how many yards or meters or whatever the fuck it was. They, she said, but that didn't stand out to me. Um, anyway, he doesn't quite believe that she could have, A, seen the rat from that distance, let alone hit the rat from that far away. So he goes out to check it himself. Here's what I loved about this scene. What did you find on the other side of that fence, Mr. Lawson? A rat. Good heavens, you don't say. Was it dead? Yes, he muttered. Imagine that. You know, you could have saved yourself a long walk if you had only believed me, Elise said with a sardonic edge to her voice. A lesser woman might start taking exception to your complete lack of faith in her. Noah winced. That's not fair. Yes, well, not much in life is fair, Mr. Lawson. I told you. Elise was great, and that scene just made me smile. 
and because you know I would never ever skip over the sex, no matter how short I'm trying to keep this book discussion, let's talk about that for a moment, because the sex here was pretty damn hot. In their first scene, she starts out by giving him a little blowjob action, and he tells her, I won't last, which, you know, typical hero response in Romance Landia, right? Maybe in real life, too, to come to think of it. Uh, to which she tells him, I never intended you to. But it gets even better, because when he says, no, no, not yet, I want you to feel what I feel when I'm with you, she shows him just what she feels when she's just around him right there. You know, he hasn't even started really touching her, and she's like, here, this is what you do to me. So she tells him he's the reason that she's shaking, and she's like having him touch her body to feel that she's kind of shaking. And then she drags his hand down to her nipples to show him that he's affecting her there as well. And then, you know where this is going, she brings his hand down even further and tells him basically, uh, hey, feel that wetness? That's from you too. You already know I'm 1 million percent here for that take charge attitude from a heroine, especially in the bedroom like this. Hold on, it's gonna get even better here. So he starts to play with her, and she uses his words right back at him, I won't last, which means he uses her earlier response of, I never intended you to, and this is where I definitely died. I died. And in case I didn't already love Elise enough, we get this quote from her right before they actually head to bed. Um, and by bed, I mean fucking. Tell me, Elise, tell me what you want. I want you to make me yours. I want to feel you inside me. I want to feel your skin against mine. I want to hear you say my name when you come. I want your nights and your deepest fantasies that go with them. And when I come, I want your name on my lips. Well, fuck me. How can you beat that? Tell me. How? You cannot. You know, the more I think about it, A Duke to Remember by Kelly Bowen might be more like a solid four stars. After all... All I know is I really enjoyed these two, and the story, and the writing, and the narrator for the audio version here was great, and I'm just looking forward to picking up more from Kelly in the future. I definitely recommend this one, because who can say no to a heroine who is often in disguise and amazing at it, knows how to shoot better than most men, and is also very confident about what she wants in the bedchamber. Spoiler, you cannot say no to that. So this weekend, I'm going to finish up Talk British to Me by Robin Billman. Uh, this is an old arc, like, from <clears throat> last June. Hey, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Remember, I'm trying to turn in some of my really old NetGalley arcs, and this was kind of the next one up on my um, list. This one sounded really good from the blurb, and that's why I picked it up, and okay, so the cover with the abs, you know, that kind of helped, and the title helped because I'm always here for a British hero, um, except for the title is misleading. I'll talk about that more next week. But I have to be honest here, I'm pretty underwhelmed by this book. I've been reading it, I want to say, for like four days, and I feel like it's just going nowhere. I'm, I don't know. I don't see myself talking about it very much next week. I will probably give you guys like a quick summary of it and my rating and there are a couple things like the whole title thing and one other really big thing that'll probably turn into a rant about romance in general, not really just this book. Um, but other than that, I don't see myself spending a lot of time on it next week just because 
I really don't give a fuck about it. Like, honestly, at this point, I just want to get it finished and move on. I'm not mad at it. I just don't care about it. I'm just, uh, I probably should have DNF'd, but y'all know that me and my DNF policy have a love-hate relationship, and I keep torturing myself by continuing to read a book that I should have just DNF'd. I don't know. Maybe I'll learn. Probably not. I will probably never learn. After that, I am going to start reading another arc, although this one is not a million years old. I'm talking about Scoring Off the Field by Naomi Simone, which comes out on March 12th. If you recall, I quite enjoyed book one earlier this year, and I'm just kind of curious to see how this one holds up to that. As to my audiobook, I'm in the middle of Wild in Love by Eloise and James, and you guys... I hate this narrator. I hate this narrator so damn much, which means I also can't really get into the story itself, but I also feel like maybe that's partly because the story is just meh. And just overall, I have a feeling this is also going to be a quick mention next week, mostly trying to explain why I hate this narration so much because I don't have a whole lot to say about the story, because I'm really not paying attention to the story, and I actually don't feel like I'm missing anything from the story, which is just, that says a lot on its own. So, um, I don't know. I think I'm going to be one of the odd ones out on this book, because I remember when it came out, what, last year? I'm pretty sure it was just last year. A lot of people in my timeline and whatnot, you know, a lot of readers not that I talked to, loved this book, I am not loving it. I don't hate it. Like, I'm not mad at it. Again, much like my um, ebook that I'm reading right now, I just don't give a fuck about this story. I just don't. Again, I should DNF, but you know what? I've told you guys before, with audiobooks, it takes a whole lot more for me to DNF because usually if I'm listening to an audiobook, I usually don't have another one on, you know, on standby or whatever, and I have to have that to listen to when I'm doing stuff every day. So, Anyway, I will finish this one, but I honestly do not care one thing about what's going on. And it's just like background noise while I'm doing stuff. That's about all it is at this point, is annoying background noise because that narrator is horrible. Oh dear God, she's horrible. I'll explain why next week. I will. Maybe I'll try to get like a, a snippet of the audio or something. No, I probably can't share that on here, can I? Um, maybe I'll just find a link to the sample or something to let you guys understand why I hate her narration because it's horrible. It's annoying. Oh my god, it's so bad. Anyway, that is my plans for my weekend of reading and um, hopefully I actually get some time to read. Fingers crossed. I was just going to say, you can tell what parts of this week were recorded when I had nobody else in the house and the house was quiet compared to the parts that I recorded like today where it is not a quiet house and I have distractions going on and I sound like a hot mess. So I apologize for that unevenness, but uh, that is my life and that's what I'm stuck with to try and get things recorded. It's either that or I don't record at all. So what about you? Tell me, what are you reading this weekend? I hope it's good, but if it's not, you know I'm always up for a good book rant as well. I hope you enjoyed this week's What You're Reading chat. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful weekend and fall in love with some fantastic books. Until next time, enjoy TBQ.